Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. As always, I have an amazing guest for you today, and and myself. I get to be here, and Mr. B in the booth taking care of everything to make this happen, especially since I am still doing the show from home, which always makes it interesting to go out to national news and into commercial breaks and things like that, but Mr. B is so amazing. So, Mr. B, just giving you a shout-out and saying thanks for all you do to help me do this show. I, I love that, Mr. B. And the other day I got an email um, on some rankings, and my show, this show that you're listening to right now, it's all about the questions, was ranked on iTunes in the United States for the category of entrepreneurship at 135. It's just amazing considering the tens of thousands of shows that are available for people to listen to, and this show was ranked so high, and that's because of you, all my amazing listeners, both live and on the podcast. So thank you, and if you're not subscribed on iTunes, please do so and rate and review an individual show or the entire show because it really helps us get found and make a difference for more people. So let's dive right in right now because I have an amazing person um, on the show today, David Hancock. He's the founder of Morgan James Publishing, and he took a chance on an unknown writer several years back and agreed and asked to publish my book, What Would a Wise Woman Do?, and the rest, as we shall say, is history, because that's how this radio show came to be, because of publishing that book. So, David, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here, and that was a great decision of mine, by the way. <laughs> well, both to be here, but also to, to extend that offer to publish because it uh, turned out to be an amazing book, and you're an amazing individual. I love you dearly. Thank you so much, and you know how much I love you and everybody at Morgan James as well. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, the whole publishing thing, industry fascinates me, David, because as a little girl growing up, my mother always said she couldn't afford to keep me in books, right? So we were always at the library. Because I had this fascination with books, as so many people do in the world, yet I keep hearing people say publishing is dead. But I don't see how that's possible because people are reading more books every day than ever before. How do you respond to that as, as the founder of a publishing house? Well, the reality is those that say the publishing is dead just may not be reading books. And of course, we all know that those of us who stop reading books and stop learning more and stop figuring out ways to improve our lives, we start going down. <laughs> so uh, the reality is they're just not paying attention enough or not doing enough in their own circles uh, to grow their lives or their families' lives or even their business lives because publishing is still booming. People are still reading lots of books. People are still writing lots of books. And there's a huge impact daily uh, by the power of books still, even as of today. But, you know, I'll, I'll say that with a grain of sand or salt, whatever that proper phrase is, because you know, a thousand years ago, there was an inscription somewhere, uh, you know, an Assyrian inscription in, uh, that mentions that uh, that the world has written all the things that could ever be possibly written. <laughs> it's like, it's, no, <laughs> there's still some left. <laughs> there, there's always a new slant on something, some new information. And, you know, I've been thinking about this whole idea that people saying publishing is dead. Like they say radio is dead. 
I yeah. wonder who those people are who are actually saying that. What benefit do they get by saying that when all it's doing is changing and doing a natural form of evolution? That's right. That's exactly what it's doing. We saw it in the music industry. We saw it in the film and television industry. Still seeing it in those industries. And, and um, print is, will always, and publishing will always be going through various changes. Uh, and how it ebbs and flows and survives is uh, is just really fascinating to watch, but it still keeps coming out on top. There's two TV shows that I watch that I love. One is Younger on TV Land about the publishing industry. Have you watched that yet? I sure have. Definitely the, the first season was really a lot of fun because they really, really tied in a lot uh, of that publishing knowledge to kind of set their their stage as being a, you know, quote unquote, a real publisher in, in the New York space and thoroughly enjoyed that. <laughs> I haven't made it into the second or third, whatever seasons are in now, but uh, yes, I loved it. <laughs> they're, in, they're in season five now. And then oh there's an, another show out on Freeform called The Bold Type, which is about the magazine industry. But they also have um, a magazine writer who's published a book and doing a book tour and all of that. And it's, it's interesting to me because having been on the inside of publishing, having worked with you and guided several other people to help them get their books published, you see that the inside of the industry, and then you see how it's portrayed in media, on TV. It's always this glamorous industry. But yet, to me, now having been on the inside and always thought this way, it's really a business more than anything else. I mean, I, I would imagine that every single author that you guys work with, and you're considered one of the fastest-growing independent publishers for several years now by Publishers Weekly, that that's the biggest hurdle you have to get over with them is that they think, okay, so I've written the book and that's all I need to do. They need to understand it's a business. That's right. Those glamorized um ideological publishing scenarios that you see in media uh, are really are the top half a percent, if that, uh, you know, where they're, they're the ones that the publishers are doubting over. They're the ones that the media is doubting over and they're the ones that are making lots of money theoretically from, you know, their books. But the reality is the rest of us, you know, that another 99.9% of us uh, have to treat the book as a business. In fact, my hero, my mentor, Jay Conrad Levison said that every book we write is a business in and of itself. And I totally agree with them. It has its own profit and loss. It has its own reach. It has its own success stories and it has its own, its own failures. And you have to nurture it and love it and grow it like a very business. Otherwise it just dies on the vine. So why do you think it is that this fallacy still exists in the publishing world that everything's all rosy and easy? Um, I think uh, uh, part of it is uh, we love to we love to you know fantasize over those celebrities. We always have been a, a, a nation of people who really latch on to those that really far out out succeed others. So I think that's part of it. Uh, but also uh, the reality is most authors well, and publishers, but most authors tend to give up on something like the book you know way too quick. Um, the average numbers of books that are actually sold in America, both first year and, and lifetimes, really shows that. They're not thinking of it as a business. They're not sticking to it. Uh, they're getting discouraged too fast. And I think that's where you really, really need to have a great accountability you know, partners uh, that you can just love and, and have them encourage you, but also be with you for the, for the long haul to kind of get over those first, those first few hiccups. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with it. They, no one talks about the struggles and the, 
and the failures, even some of the biggest books that we, we've read in the, in the 20, 20th century uh, and into the 21st century, like Chicken Soup for the Soul. You know, those books were phenomenal. They've, I think they've just about passed a billion sales now in those books. But the reality was the first 18 months, which most authors and most publishers would have given up on by then, first 18 months, they sold single digits. They really struggled to sell the book. But it wasn't until some third party, actually a, um, from what uh, Jack and Mark tell us, uh, was a, a reporter for the New York Times, wasn't even the book editor reporter, just a reporter from the New York Times, found the copy of the book, liked it, and just happened to mention it in a short article, on the, not even on the, in the, in the, on the front page, you know, uh, and just described the book slightly different than the way that the authors were describing the book, and boom, it took off. But again, uh, immediately, I think from that point forward, it was on the New York Times bestseller list all the way up till, you know, likely today. Uh, but it was because they stuck with it and they kept promoting, they kept getting the word out, and they kept, you know, doing the right things, but they just needed a little bit of help from their network to clarify it. Uh, and now it was, it was sold for an undisclosed mega amount <laughs> when they finally did. But ask them if their book was a business, <laughs> and they'll tell you, that's for sure. But it, it seems so frustrating for so many authors because nowadays, especially with all of the self-publishing that's happening there's a new book every other day, and Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all these other platforms seem to still gravitate towards the big people, the Michelle, Michelle Obamas, the uh, woman who wrote, uh, the person who wrote Where the Crawdads Sing, all of those books. It's, it seems harder and harder to get noticed in an ever chaotic world, everly increasing chaotic world. I know you've written yeah. amazing books, Guerrilla Marketing for Writers. It's like the the um, publishing Bible for writers. And I hate to use the word Bible that way, but I know you know what I mean by it. <laughs> and I'm grateful. As, as a publisher, you publish what, about 190 books a year, something like that? We do. Um, primarily nonfiction books where we do about 145 of those per year. Okay. And we've got a small faith line. We do about 25 faith-based books a year. And then a good clean fiction line that we do about 12 clean fictions a year. Um, the biggest theme with us as a publisher is that we love to have books that not only educate, encourage, inspire, and even entertain the world, uh, but they're current, they're relevant, they're consistent. Uh, and uh, ultimately, they're trying to establish some sort of goal, some sort of good, you know, whether to teach, to encourage, to promote, you know, a nonprofit or a faith message or something, uh, or the stories have a moral that we can, that we can learn from. Uh, so yeah, it's exciting. Well, how do you decide what you think is going to be a success? Cause this is a business for you too. There's a lot of effort and staff on, on your behalf that has to get behind whatever book. How do you know what to look for? I know it's not just gut instinct, although it was on my part. But <laughs> <laughs> That's really a really great question. And it really, the definition of success can be different for everybody. Um, you know, my definition of success as a publisher is slightly different than another publisher because just the reasons why we set out to do this in the first place were a little different than what most publishers, well, maybe not what most publishers did when they first started out, but where they're at right now. But I still truly believe that, um, you know, I, I have discovered the power of the book uh, for many, many reasons, as others have, but I really am focused on helping others succeed because the more successful they are, the more successful we're going to be. The reality is there's really no real way to tell if a book is going to be a success. You know, we've seen some books that are great 
that just struggle, like, you know, chicken soup for the soul. We are, we've seen some books that are just phenomenal that, oh my gosh, everybody in the world needs to, you know, needs to read and they struggle. And then we've also seen some books that were just okay, or really maybe not even that, that great literary works, but just take off in both in, in the traditional publishing world, uh, or as well as the, the hybrid space, and even some self-published books that have really surprised the world. So really, it's no real way for anybody to really know if a book is going to be successful. Uh, so what we've come up with, our little secret formula, if I can share it on the air, you know, privately, yeah, our secret formula, <laughs> is for us, it's all about the author. Who are they? What are they doing? And why? That's at least 80% of our decisions. Because you can always hire a better editor. Gracious, you can delete it and start over with a new ghostwriter if you've got a really good idea, but you can't fix an author that's not doing it for the right reasons. And it doesn't necessarily mean to sell a lot of books. You know, it means that they're, you know, they're, they've got something really good to say. You know, they're an authority in this space or becoming an authority in this space. That they're really serving their audience well, and the readers are going to benefit from it and hopefully get out and talk about it. That's what ends up making a really good, good book. A lot of these authors that, uh, with the exception of maybe some of the celebrities or the politicians, a lot of the best-selling authors, you know, their overnight success might have been their 10th book. Uh, so they just have to, to stick with it. But for us, our little secret is we've been able to figure out uh, where these authors are in their space where the book is part of something. It's not the end all. It's part of their big picture. And it has made a significant difference in, in you know, how we've been able to succeed over the last 16 years and uh, how they have been able to succeed. Because just because it may not be selling well in the bookstores doesn't mean that the author, authors just aren't making a significant impact in their speak in their space from either from speaking or being able to provide other services or products for their market, uh, or even just um, you know changing one life at a time. You know the one life they were trying to change that could be happening with a, a book that sold dozens versus a book that sold millions. Uh, so that's kind of our secret sauce. And you make it sound so simple, right? but <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> because somebody who's presenting to you, I mean, I've just seen this with, with my clients and, and even with guests I've had on the show or clients I've had, staff I've had, they present a certain way and they're on when you're talking to them or working with them. And then... After they've sort of snagged the deal, it's like they shift or change. What do you do in situations like that where you think that this person is going to be all in on it and, and then you find out something's different about them? Yeah, it does happen and it can happen and it happens to, um, you know, probably more often than any, any publisher would realize. Um, I think recognizing that that's a possibility has, has been you know, part of our success. Um, the reality is, is you know, that next shiny object, especially when you're working with entrepreneurs, and most of our authors, 99% uh, of our authors are entrepreneurs, and the book is part of, you know, this entrepreneurial vision. And, and we, entrepreneurs, are easily distracted by the next shiny object, especially if it's not happening quick enough for us. <laughs> uh, so I think it's all about the relationship, you know, with our, our authors uh, and, and business and life as, as well. But for us, um, we strive to have a long-term, mutually beneficial relationship with the authors. We want to make sure that we're, get, that we're close enough and we have the, the, the ways to, to be able to understand what the goals are of the author, uh, help them down the path, uh, learn from the things that they're doing, help them learn from what our other most successful authors are doing, but also watch out for the pitfalls that are happening to all of us, but to our other authors as well, and trying to keep them as focused as possible. Um, and the expectations that the book is a process. It's not, not necessarily going to be an overnight success you know, for, for anybody. 
Uh, so trying to keep them engaged and focused and reminding them of their goals and reminding them of their, their paths that they're heading down. But having that good, close relationship with them is, the, the, I think, the biggest thing, you know, that makes us, uh, you know, kind of recognize those. Now, s- still, they tend to s- struggle. Uh, still, they tend to um, uh, get distracted. Uh, but if we didn't have that relationship, we'd see it far more in our publishing world than, than we'd, like, we'd care to see, that's for sure. <laughs> Excuse me. Couldn't talk there for a second. One of the things that you've always said about Morgan James is that it's a family. Not only the staff that works at uh, Morgan James, but also the authors. That's something that everybody likes to think happens in publishing, but we've seen too often than not that it's not really what happens. You you present your book to a publishing house, and next thing you know, the editor comes along, and it doesn't even look like your book when <laughs> they're done with it. The the idea, the premise of it has been changed because they just want to sell books. But that's important. You're in a business. How do you keep sort of that balance between your business and the message of an author in today's publishing world where it's like you said, the next big shiny thing, the next big book, what's it going to be? Yeah, sure. And I, I can totally appreciate that. And I do think it kind of boils down to just our, our core value and our core message. Anyhow, is we're here to serve others and help others achieve their goals. And by doing so, we're going to be successful. Obviously we have to make money because that's we only, the only way we make money is by selling books to bookstores. So that's important to us. We have to stay in business and we want to stay in business, but our focus is on serving others. How can we help them achieve their goals? And by doing so, we can be successful. I learned that from Zig Ziglar back in the 90s when I was a banker, and, and it was true then just as much as it's true now. And that family connection comes in because it's genuine. I mean, we really do care about the, the author's success. Um, we want them to succeed. We want to have a good, close relationship with them. We even do fun things with our authors to maintain those relationships. Um, and we really want to help them you know, change the world of their audience. And that for us, is why people have call us uh, or being part of, of our family. It started out probably as a, as a little side joke because in the early days, you know, half our organization was my family. Heck, my parents worked for us interviewing authors. Um, my sisters worked for us at one point. Uh, two of them, st- well, my only two sisters still do, uh, but I've had you know others in, in the organization as we grow. But uh, uh, now some of our, our staff has married each other's kids and it truly is a family here you know uh, out of the 49 people that work with us on a regular basis you know uh what is this eight maybe you're related or something like that it really (laughs) really uh, is family now okay right Uh, one one guy our publisher he uh, jim howard his uh son married my niece and he says now uh, he's uh, he's married into it, so I can't fire him, which I never would, and he can't leave because, you know, he's so valuable, but uh, it is. But from our author relationship, it, it really is the good part of a family. Um, being with somebody during the, the tough times, helping them step out of that uh, self-doubt, getting in through the challenges uh, where nobody but family can seem to really help you do that. Sometimes um, our our true friends uh, end up not being true friends when challenges come. And it's, and it's human nature. It's not necessarily something that um, is, makes that particular person evil. But we've had you know, friends and acquaintances in our worlds who, when my bride struggled with um, uh, breast cancer, which she's recovering now, she's doing amazing, but she had friends that literally just disappeared because they can't handle it. And that's tough, but family steps up. Um, 
typically will step up. And that's the way that we feel with our authors. There are challenges. There are certainly some excitements, uh, lots of excitements in publishing, uh, but being with them during the whole process, you know, being their biggest cheerleader, uh, celebrating their successes, uh, grieving with their challenges, but helping them get through it. Um, that's what makes uh, an organization a family. Um, somebody or a company could say, hey, join our family, but if they don't live it, it's not really going to happen. And our authors keep reminding us that they're proud to be a part of our family. We're honored to have them, but it really boils down to that relationship. And that's very, very, very important. I think publishing could take a significant change for the better if the larger houses realize that they're doing something good and they've gotten this, an incredible you know, credibility. They've got this incredible space that they're in. But they could do so much more if they would just improve that relationship with the authors. You know, right now, there are over 15,000 traditionally published books every week. Most of them won't last three weeks. And that's tough. It's really, really tough. I'd, I'd rather see them uh, spend more time on that relationship and helping the author succeed versus uh, just giving up on them and moving on to the next one. Some of our best successes uh, came, you know, after that first three weeks. <laughs> imagine. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in shock with that number you said, David. You said approximately 15,000 traditionally published books a week. Yeah, I, absolutely. And there's even an almost unknown number of uh, books self-published this week. The last number I heard was over a million books were self-published in a year. Um, so where does that divide by 50? A lot. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a lot, and so many of them never see the light of day or see one sale, other than to a family member. And we when were. you talk to those authors or talk to people that want to put their books up, they're like, "Oh, I, I just I just want this out there," and I'm like, "Okay, but so you just it's a vanity press. I just that's want right. my name to say that I'm a published author." And that's would changed you, significantly would, from the origins of what made the the traditional publishing houses who they are, right? It, back then, it was so hard, and it still is very hard to get published through any publishing house, like Morgan James or Random House or Pelican or, or you know, any of them, unless you, you have a name, and you say that they need to build their relationships back. Do they ever really have them? <laughs> um, not as much as they, you know, maybe. Maybe back in the early days when publishers were publishing, you know, very, very small numbers. Um, and, and that's, you know, one of the challenges of, of getting bigger. Uh, they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger uh, and kept losing pieces along the lines. I think we're pretty much capped. I, I don't really want to do more than 300 books a year. You know, right now we're less than 200. You know, we probably could do 300, but I think, you know, at that number, um, I don't think we could serve our authors well. I don't think that we could really, you know, reach the audience as well. I mean, we already right now only have, what, 90 seconds to pitch a book to a bookstore um, as it is now. Uh, so we have to nurture those relationships and establish that trust and, and uh, try to get them excited about the authors. And in such a short time, the way it is now, it's, it, it, could, it would really be hard-pressed to, to to do more, but I think back in the day, you know, but then still, it's always been an uphill challenge. I, I had the honor of interviewing Debbie Maycomber at her 35th anniversary fan event. I interviewed her on stage, and she's been in the industry for 35 years, and it took so many years for her first book to get sold, 
and she's seen the industry completely change over that time period. And and I, I know she would echo everything that you were just saying about the difference. Now, she has a great relationship, right, because she's Debbie Maycombers, tens of millions of books sold, but not right. everybody has that. So when we get back from the National News Brave, David, um, I'd love it if you'd be able to share some of your thoughts on what potential authors and current authors can do to help get themselves noticed, either by a publisher or even more so the audience for their books. You game for that? Absolutely. All right. So we'll be right back with more from the amazing David Hancock, founder of Morgan James Publishing. Welcome back, everyone. I am here, well, virtually here (laughs) with David Hancock, friend, dear friend, uh, founder and publisher of Morgan James Publishing. They published my book many years ago and took a chance on an unknown author at that point. And I'm ever so grateful for that because that's what brought this show to you because I founded this show based on the principles of my book, What Would a Wise Woman Do? And we've spent the first half of the show talking about the changing face of publishing, what it means to be an author, and how really publishing houses have had to change and grow. And, and David, you know, it, it just blows my mind, this whole concept of, disrupting the publishing industry. And I I promised my listeners that we're going to talk about, you know, what happens when you publish a book and you grow it. But I, I want to address sort of like this whole controversy about what happens when somebody steps into an industry to change the way the industry functions, which is what Morgan James Publishing did as an entrepreneurial publisher back in 2003 when you when you founded it. And, I mean, you have, with the greatest amount of grace I have ever seen, dealt with people disparaging you, telling lies about your business, I mean, outright lies about how your business functions. And how do you handle controversy? Because it's it's something that every one of my listeners will have to deal with at some point in their business life. As an author, as a business owner, there is going to be some controversy, somebody going out there to attack them. Yeah, absolutely. It's not fun, and it's not easy, uh, but the, the reality is it's going to happen. So I would tell everybody that sets out in business and life uh, to expect those challenges. As long as you know in your heart that you're serving the audience, as long as you're clear in your message and what you're doing, um, and the things that they're talking about are truly inaccurate, then the, the best thing to do is, is to ignore it. Um, I've got a dear friend of mine, actually our associate publisher there in Nashville, she says you don't want to feed the trolls. Because <laughs> if you try to get engaged with people that are that are um, uh, doing that to you, especially online, you'll just end up feeding the trolls and making it bigger than it could be. Uh, so again, our, our whole purpose of what we're doing as a publisher is to serve others. And as long as we're continuing serving others and our authors are, are having success, I don't care what people say about us. Uh, sure, I'm very, very... Um, uh, proud of what we're doing, and I am concerned to make sure that our, our message is clear, our brand is strong, uh, but the reality is the, the more good you're doing will definitely outweigh a perceived bad. Uh, but over the years, we certainly have had to grow and adjust and change and clarify what we're saying uh, so that we can avoid confusion in the marketplace, and that's going to happen with any disruptor. 
Um, and take a look at um, you know even Tesla. Take a look at even some of the other industry disruptors that came out there you know ahead of Morgan James. When you do something different, when you're challenging the status quo, um, they start to shake in their boots and they'll still create campaigns against you. <laughs> uh, and the reality is, is you just got to stay focused. You've got to make sure that your your message internally is clear and you're serving your audience well, and then uh, and just keep pressing forward. Uh, it's just it's the nature of the business. In fact, I even tell our authors that uh, there will come a time that even those that may be closest to them, their biggest fans and their biggest supporters, maybe their spouse, you know, somebody that could really you know love them, uh, there'll come a time when those people will start to poo-poo on your parade because they've heard it for so long and they're like, can we talk about something else? Uh, or gracious, this is getting old, or you know, it's time to stop. Um, so that will even be some discouraging pieces in their lives. But I tell them to expect it. Uh, to still love them when they hear it and just smile real big, pat them on the back, and you keep pressing forward with your mission because you know it's the right thing to do. Okay. So talk about pressing forward with your mission because really, if nothing else, publishing a book, whether somebody is fortunate enough to get a book deal with Morgan James or uh, another publishing house or they self-publish, it really is a mission, isn't it? You have to live and breathe the book and your message. How does somebody really go about doing that and be successful about it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it really boils down to why did you write the book in the first place? Ultimately, we all write books for a particular reason in focusing on that and having a plan. Um, it takes you know almost 12 months. Right now it's taking us between 9 and 11 months to put a book onto a bookstore shelf. That's a lot of planning that goes into that process. So when you're first writing the book, you've got to think about the big picture. You've got to think about the, you know, the, 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 the next steps with the book and really what you want the book to accomplish. Those legacy books that people write just to have for their family, you know, to find in the attic when they die is completely different than what we're talking about right now. There's a lot of great reasons to put your, your family story or your, your history into a, a printed version, but those of us who write books so that others can read them and enjoy them and talk about them uh, outside of maybe our family core circle are the ones that you really need to have, you know, have a plan and stick to it uh, and develop a way to be able to leverage the book. Even those who write fiction books, you know, think about the, the, the long tail, think about the, you know, the series in the book, the future books, and even like Star Wars has done with those movies, but also the books that come along with it is the side stories, the back stories, the hind stories, the future stories, <laughs> you know, that's all part of, you know, what makes a book um, a successful franchise you know, and, and an author, you know, successful author, even well past their, you know, their death. Uh, so I think that, that, that goal and that vision and sticking to it, but having a plan, uh, do you want to just be a New York Times bestseller or do you want to sell hundreds of thousands of books or do you want to change lives? All of them have different plans on how to get there. Um, and it's just, it's all boils down to that plan, I think. And as you've taught me, you know, to ask the right questions, ask the right questions of yourself and ask the right questions of the audience. Do they want it? Can you give them something that they can use and fix and you and you know, solve their problem with or, or talk about or be encouraged or inspired to do the change in the world that you want them to do? Um, it all starts with that moment you start putting a pen to paper. In fact, I teach our authors that uh, the best time uh, to start marketing a book is the very moment you decide to start writing the book. So including your audience with you down your path, 
hey, I've decided to write a book. <laughs> and of course, all kind of things can happen once from saying that. And of course, it's a balance. Um, I also tell our audience or that are authors that they need to, you know, really be in their message, like 95% of their communication to the world needs to be about why those people are following them in the first place, you know, to educate them, to encourage them, to inspire them, and maybe even entertain them in their regular media, their social media, their speaking, their, you know, how they're interacting with their fans right now. The other one to 5% need to be very specific about the book and bring them along this journey. I'm writing a book, I've written one, I've got, you know, proposals together, I've talked to agents, I've submitted it to publishers, I've got rejected, I've got an offer, and here's the you know, I just got accepted and here's the cover and here, you know, just kind of bringing them down that path with you. Uh, but by the time the book comes out, they're already eager and ready and willing to do it. Because one of the things that happens a lot is authors will, will write a book. They'll not tell anybody. And then next day, you know, one day out of the blue, they go, Hey, go buy my book on Amazon. <laughs> it's like, I didn't know you were writing a book. You know, you haven't earned the right to have them go buy that book somewhere, you know, anywhere. Uh, so I don't know if I answered the question, Laura, but it's certainly a lot of fun trying to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a lot of fun listening to you answer it as, as well. <laughs> so let's dive a, a little deeper into that, that whole idea of the mission and the message of your book. I'll never forget when we first met and I, I pitched you on my book at, at an event that we were both at. And you were just sitting there talking to people, and I stood in line, and I'm like, okay, I haven't even written a single word about this book yet. I, I have an idea, and you're like, well, talk to me. And one of the questions you asked me, well, what do you want this book to be about? How do you want to change the world and things like that? But then you said to me, I need you to write a book proposal. I want your book. I love you. But get me a book proposal to let me know that you've done the work, that you've really thought through what it means to be an author. I don't know if you remember you saying that to me. And you didn't say quite in those exact words, but that's what I took away from it was. And six weeks later, I, I gave you this book proposal, and I even had four chapters of the book written, and I had that's an outline right. of the book, and I really began to understand the business of being an author. And yeah, does absolutely. that still hold true today, that it doesn't matter if you're self-publishing, that that act of writing a book proposal, which essentially is a business plan for your book, is... I was going to say that. <laughs> absolutely. And I mean to interrupt you, but you're, you're absolutely right. And again, back down to that whole basic, that the idea of a book is a business in and of itself. A proposal is really the business plan of of do I have a valid idea? Is anybody else doing something similar? Are there successes in the space? Will people buy it? And uh, can you be the authority behind it? Do you have enough skills to do it? Do I need to go? Do you need to go do more investigating? Do you need to do some more learning? Do you need to go, you know, find another topic maybe? But the proposal can certainly help you. I learned that the hard way. I, I got kind of lucky, if you will. Um, I was compelled to write my first book by a dear, dear friend of mine, a mentor. Um, and I ended up getting it picked up and published uh, without necessarily having to go through that 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 process. Um, but when I really wanted to co-author a book with Jay Levison, the first thing he said to do was go write a proposal. It's like, well, I, I already know you. You know what I want. You know what kind of book I want to write. He says, no, you need to go write a proposal. I hated it. It was miserable. But it certainly gave me clarification. <laughs> I was able to realize that there was a market for it and that I did have something good to say. And there were other books similar to it. Uh, which is one of the important things that, you know, I think in publishing, 
there, you know, we always say there's no new idea, and that may be true, but the reality is if you're coming up with a book or an idea for a book uh, that has never been done in the history of the world, that could be cool, but it wouldn't get put in bookstores because bookstore buyers based on bookstore buyers buy based on two perceptions. How does a book compare or compete with other books that are selling well in the same space and their perception of your ability to generate buzz? And most of us don't have enough perception of the ability to generate buzz to overcome a book that's never been written before, so it wouldn't get picked up. Uh, so it, it, the proposal forces you, that business outline, that, uh, uh, that um, manifesto of what you want to do, uh, business plan, all that stuff, uh, really forces you to, to stay focused on really what it is and what the market might be asking for uh, and how you might be able to give them the answers. But yet everybody wants to just dive in. Oh, God, sorry, that's my own pet peeve because I get so many people who are like, Laura, connect <laughs> to an agent, connect me to a publisher, somebody you know, and I'm like, well, show me your book proposal. Let me read part of your book. And they're like, well, no, it should be enough that it's just me. And I'm like, no, I'm not opening up my contacts without knowing what you're all about. And and I, I, I'm always blown away by that, David, and at your graciousness with people that come up to you and how you handle them. All right, so separate aside. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> we could go on forever on this topic, and we're coming towards the end of the show. What do you think right. is the next big shiny thing in publishing? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, it could be a couple of different things. I, I, I think um, as the retail environment continues to morph and change, I think uh, you know, we'll see some, some highlights in, in, in the, uh, new ways that communities can engage with their audiences with um, you know, new ideas and, and bookstores and so forth. Uh, for us, one of the neat, cool, shiny things that we're operating on uh, is we're now delivering our book to the blockchain and allowing people to buy our books through digital currencies. And it's really neat. I don't fully have mastered, I haven't fully mastered the technology behind it all, but when you buy an ebook, an electronic book on the blockchain, you physically own the ones and zeros. Whereas if you bought the book on a device, be it Kindle, Kobo, Nook, whoever, you basically are licensing the right to read it but you don't own the book. <laughs> kind of weird, you know how that's kind of per se, but um, um, with the blockchain. Amazon's chain, taking away books, and they yet, just get removed from your Kindle devices. Yes, that can happen, and we've seen examples of that in recent years where um, a book that you may have purchased on a, on a device has disappeared because of you know, some sort of dispute between publisher and author or or, or you know, some, something, you know. Uh, but the reality is not unlike a print book, um, the blockchain you physically own and you can sell <laughs> uh, and there's value to it. Um, but it's, it's, it's cool. It's exciting. It's neat. Um, there's even um, something that we really haven't even announced publicly yet. So you're kind of hearing this for the first time is we've even established the books that are sold on the blockchain when they're resold on the blockchain, the authors get a royalty again on that, that sale. Uh, so very, very exciting things to, to add value to the intellectual property of the authors. But, you know, sexiness in the in the way that it's done, and physically owning you know that little, that well that that particular ones and zeros of the property of the ebook, just like you own the physical pages of a print book. Very very cool. Well, thank you for announcing that live on on the air here. I'm, I'm really honored, <laughs> David. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and being a geek, <laughs> that really is a major next big shiny thing. Is this whole idea of who owns? the book, even right. though you've paid for it. And I don't think a lot of people fully understand that with the ebooks. 
and and stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, we even um, one of the first publishers to work on a program where if you buy the print book, you get the ebook edition for free. I mean, it just makes sense to us as a publisher. Um, you bought it. You should you should have it in any format that, that's available. Now, it's going to take years for everybody else in the world to recognize that. And uh, we, we beta tested it for years and it was hugely successful. And we do look forward to bringing that back out um, you know, now that we've uh, you know, kind of proven the concept uh, moving forward. So anybody that buys a print book, you should have the ebook. Uh, will we lose money on, on ebook sales? Well, sure. Will we add value to the authors and the readers? Absolutely. Okay, so how do you then understanding that royalties are there, and for those who are not familiar with this, royalties are what the authors get for each sale of a book. If you're giving away an ebook, where typically an author makes a bigger percentage of royalty, how do you handle that conversation? Yeah, it's a good conversation to have. So, one, we start out by paying a, a typically double royalty rate on the print version over larger houses. So we try to make sure we reward them well on the front end. But look back at that business behind the book, you know, where that client, that reader is probably more important. There should be more important than the royalty that you may make from a, a given sale of the book. When we capture the name and email address of the person who claims the free ebook who have purchased your book, we give that name and that contact information to the author so they can develop a relationship with their fans, their followers, uh, so they can help them consume the book, so they can be aware of the seminar that's coming up or the workshop that's available or the other products or the other books in the series. That's where the real value is. And that's the business of being an author. That's right. That's the business of having a book as a business. <laughs> and, you know, for years, David, so many people have said your book is your business card. I struggle with that concept. What do you think about that? Yeah, it is a, a kind of a cliche, but the reality is it does establish credibility and it does give you an opportunity to establish your particular you know, core competencies in a given topic. So it can certainly be used as a business card. But as in any business, it is just the start of a relationship. You can start a relationship by handing a business card, and that has worked for centuries. Uh, and you can start a relationship by, by handing out a book or having somebody buy your book. But where you take it from there is where, you're, where and how you're going to be successful. Uh, but it does establish credibility. It does establish you as authority in the space. Uh, it just does a better job of it as a business card. But I am not a fan of somebody writing a book just to be a business card who could care less about their reader or care less about the content not serving. You know, I tell some of our, our authors, in fact, even our most successful authors, I encourage them to give all their information away in the book. Don't hold back. Don't leave anything out. Give every bit of your wisdom in a book, even if it's the exact same thing that you want them to pay you for to hire you as a, uh, as a speaker to come into their organization because that's how you get that credibility. That's how they get to love and trust you and respect you, because the reality is they're not going to do it on their own. They're going to want to hire you to come in and teach you know, or do it for them. Uh, so I think um, those authors that are writing the books um, that end up becoming the best business cards are writing books that are serving the audience best, if that makes sense. It, it makes total sense, and you've done that yourself with all the books that you've published over the years. I mean, right. how many books are you up to that you've written? 17 so far. <laughs> it oh. gets in your system. <laughs> Helps that you're also a publisher. 
<laughs> I know, right? Because <laughs> you've I actually tested to, all these theories out on your own on your own books. That's right. I still have to convince our pub board to accept my ideas too, <laughs> which I respect and love. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt they've ever turned you down. They may have turned well, you and they, said, "Shift it this way." They they did make me do one slower than I had expected because I had to kind of. Uh, what's a long story, but I wrote an amazing book called Yes, Dear, Man's Definitive Guide to the Understanding of What We Know About the Women We Love. And it was so unique that uh, it took me a while to convince others to, to love it with me. <laughs> but like you said, it. that's why you have to write a business plan to know what's out there because nobody wants to read something so completely different. The audience is too small. Speaking of the audience, how can they reach out to you, find out more about Morgan James? I know you are active on social media and share so much stuff about the publishing industry. Oh, I appreciate that. I have a passion for helping authors find their right path. I think Morgan James is a phenomenal path for the right authors, but I, I really do um, enjoy encouraging authors and listening to the stories and helping them. So I can be reached uh, you know, on, online at morganjamespublishing.com, certainly through uh, Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Morgan James, and even my Twitter handle is just David Hancock uh, or at David Hancock. So I'm here. I'm available to the world. And everybody who's listening, David does respond. If, if you post something out on social media, media asking him a question, he will respond. He's really great that way. But if you expect David to, to just listen to your pitch with you not having something behind you and having gone through the process and him just saying yes, um, understand that being an author and being accepted by a publishing house means you need to do the work even before you sit down and talk to somebody like David. I was fortunate. I was at an event and got to hear him speak and, and approached him. But then, you know, he made me do the work afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm grateful right. every day for that, David. Uh, me too. Thank you so much. So your last thought you want to share with my listeners. I just want to encourage you, if you've got a passion to write a book, think about the audience and how they're going to use it. Build it into your why. Yeah, but I want, you, I want to encourage you to continue. Uh, even though we talked about a lot of people writing books, a lot of books being published every week, uh, most of us don't. Uh, so if you've got an idea for a great book, you want to change the world in some way, follow that passion and do it. Make it happen. Uh, because then you'll stand out far and far above than uh, those peers around you because you're actually doing it. If you're doing it for the right reasons, you could get picked up by a house not unlike Morgan James. And as you said during the break, you're actually birthing a book. Step into that a little bit further with that conversation. Yeah, that's right. You had mentioned before we took the break that, that uh, some people write a book just to have a book out there. But the reality is we don't, um, you know, writing a book is like birthing a baby. You, 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 you have the baby, you nurture it, you work towards the time that the, the birth comes. And then, of course, when the baby is born or when the book is born, you can't just leave it. You've got to, you've got to feed it. You've got to clothe it. You've got to nurture it. You've got to educate it. You've got to introduce it to friends. <laughs> you know, you can't just stop after the first few weeks. You can't just stop after the first few months. You know, it's a life of the baby you're you're going to be that parent of. It's the life of the book uh, that uh, you know that you need to focus on. You know that that book. It's not something you can just birth and walk away and hope it grows and, and succeeds on its own because it will wither and die. And that's a horrible, horrible thought. But that's the same thing that will happen to your book if you treat it that way. So understand, it's there for a lifetime. That's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so can you relaunch a book? If your oh, book's yeah. been out there for a while and you kind of have forgotten about it a little bit, 
because of whatever reasons it's gone kind of dormant. Is relaunching a good thing, not a good thing? Is it is it viable? I'm so excited to answer that question. It is definitely viable and it's something that we should all be doing. Um, in fact, my mentor, Jay Levinson, tells me that you should uh, launch a book or your product three times a year. And I also confirmed that with Jeff Walker, one of our you know, number one New York Times bestselling authors on a book called Launch. Because because you're growing your audience. You know, every every week, every month, every year, you've got new fans, new followers, and new audience who are just now starting to pay attention to you. As long as the book is still relevant, which hopefully you've written one to be so or can update it, you know, as as necessary, you do need to relaunch the book to the world. Minimum once a year. Um, I think, you know, once every you know, four months is great too. So three times a year to minimum, you know, once a year, relaunch it. Be as excited about the book as it was the day you first launched it. It's a new book to somebody. So absolutely relaunch that book, that product that, uh, that you're working on, you know, one to three times a year. Be very intentional about it. As long as you're gaining their permission, as long as you're educating, encouraging, inspiring them, you know, the other 95% of the time, you certainly can flip that, that switch, you know, three times a year to promote you and promote the book. Absolutely. Our most successful authors do that. If that helps answer the question. <laughs> it does, because I've been actually thinking about relaunching my book again, and you've been kind enough to let me put it back out there with Laura Stewart instead of Laura Stewart Atchison, and I've just got to get that working through. And is there a piece of advice in 30 seconds or less? <laughs> um, stay connected. Um, when you choose a publisher, develop that relationship with them if they'll have you. Uh, but stay connected and see a positive change for your own story uh, because it's all on your shoulders for success. Perfect. David, thank you so much, as always, for being here and being a friend and being who you are in the world today. You've been listening thank to you. It's, it's been a privilege. About the questions all right, everybody, have a great day. And remember, the right questions can change your life. Allaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 